would, to turn to Genesis chapter 19, and if you could, take your Bible also and look at Ephesians chapter 6, and so both of these places this morning, I want to take you, and hopefully our journey will be short, and uh, we'll be able to understand a little bit more about the Lord and how we can live the kind of life we should live, even though the culture seems to be decaying. How are we supposed to respond to that? And are there instructions from the scriptures that will help us? I think there is. I want you to know that my intention uh, this morning is to help you to understand and get a bigger picture of grace and understand God's grace and help us understand a little bit more of how we can Uh, use that grace, the Bible says in the book of Titus, and remember that Titus is given to us uh, for instruction in the local church, I believe putting things in order, you need to have spiritual leadership, Uh, that's mentioned in the first chapter, the second chapter of Titus gives us a little understanding of sound doctrine, and the third one dealing with submissive hearts or servant hearts, if you would, uh, on verse 1 of chapter 3. But to give you a little bit of an understanding that there needs to be in, in uh, our culture today that God has given us grace in our day, the third chapter brings that out, so that we can actually live godly, so the grace of God has been given, so that we can live godly in this ungodly world. And so the grace of God is given to us to strengthen us, not to weaken us. In other words, Uh, There has been in our culture today or even in our scenario of churches where they have weakened the word grace. They have given the, uh, uh, taken grace and turned it into lasciviousness. In other words, you can go ahead and live the way you want to live and God's going to overlook that. No, our God is a God of justice and he will deal with sin. And, And remember that God gives us the grace to live godly. But he also will deal with us according to our sin. If we go away from what God desires, he then corrects us and brings us back in. He chastens us, brings us back into order and back into step with his desire and his will. So my desire then is for us to understand that in a culture like we have today, how can a person live uh, in the grace of God and how can the grace of God strengthen them? I think the Old Testament is given to us so that we can illustrate this and and turn to it and see how there's three different areas uh, in this particular section. We know that uh, the three people have now come and and uh, they visited they visited Abraham in his tent. Remember the scenario. Then he cries out on the behalf of Sodom and. And, you know, let me uh, let there be just 10 righteous. Remember the story. And so bringing up, uh, us up to the place where we're at now in verse number 12. And, and, and the men said unto Lot. And so they're dealing with Lot and dealing with this particular individual who has brought his family into a scenario where even just Lot was grieved in his heart. If we're living in a culture today that, that uh, is, uh, if you would, on the way here, I was listening to someone saying that it is post-truth. Uh, I've heard post-Christian. I've heard other terms used about our culture today. But it is, seems like we're getting away from what is true. And how do we get back to that place? I really believe it is by the grace of God. And I hope you understand what his grace means and how that God can even use you in a culture like this to be able to be a light in our society, to be sound, sane, and sensible to the people that you're around. And so 
with that, I think it's good for us to understand a little bit more of the word grace and what the Bible teaches concerning it. So I, I just titled this God's Grace in the Evil Day um, during the late 1800s. There was an English evangelist named Henry Morehouse, and he had several trips to America to preach. And on one of these occasions, he was walking through a poor section of the city, and when he noticed a small little boy coming out of the store with a pitcher of milk, can you imagine, that's the way they used to get the milk in the old days, take a little pitcher, your own pitcher, and you go into the store, and they would measure out the amount of milk, and, and then you'd, you know, when I was growing up, it was the milkman coming to our house, you might remember that, where you had the little bottles, and sometimes there'd be little small uh, almost like half-gallon bottles that were small. They put two or three of them in a little bin. Uh, there was actually little places where the milk could be set. Uh, you would open it up, and, and uh, sometimes the children would play with that. You know, what was this all about? That's how they actually delivered milk uh, in those days. Here, the young man was going to the store, and he had come out of the store. I was in a poor section of the town, and just then, the boy slipped and fell, breaking the pitcher spilling the milk all over the sidewalk. Morehouse rushed to the younger side and found him unhurt but terrified. The little boy looked up and said, My mama is going to whip me. He cried, and the preacher, of course, then struggled, uh, suggested that they try to put the pitcher back together, and they struggled, and the pieces would not fit together. Pieces of glass would not stay And so the boy kept crying, and finally Morehouse picked up the youngster and carried him into a a nearby dime store where he purchased a new pitcher. And then he returned to the dairy store, and he filled the pitcher up full of milk. With that done, he carried both the boy and the pitcher home. And putting the youngster down on his front porch, Morehouse handed him the pitcher and asked the little boy, Now, will your mother whip you? Little boy said, no, sir, because this pitcher is a whole lot better than the one we had. You get a little bit of a sense of what happens when we are broken to the place in living in a culture or a society like we live in today and feel like we're nothing or worthless. When God's grace will come and he will strengthen us. I want you to know that God's grace is desiring to be able to strengthen you. And God's grace really is uh, unmerited favor. And so we can't earn that grace. It's something that our education can't give us. It's nothing our paychecks can't give it to us. And it's free. It's unmerited and it's free. We can get God's grace. Anyone in this room has, has the ability to come and get the grace of God. Someone wrote, when a person works an eight hour a day and receives a fair day's wages for his pay, uh, that, is, that is his wage, if you would, for the time working. And when a person competes with an, an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's the prize. And when someone uh, receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning wages, when he's not capable of winning a prize, when he, when he deserves no award, Yet he receives such a gift anyway. That's a good picture of the unmerited favor of God. And this is what we mean when we're talking about the grace 
of God. And hidden, I really believe, in the Old Testament, among the pages of the Old Testament, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see God's amazing grace. And this second time grace is mentioned in the Bible, and the first, of course, was back in the Scriptures, Genesis chapter uh, number 8, where God saw and, and, and grace and gave uh, because of, of, uh, of Noah, and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But here now, Lot is mentioned as one that was given grace also in verse number 12 through verse number 22. But it's interesting because the New Testament mentions this. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. And, and the Bible says, and delivered just Lot. So it calls him a justified person. He who is vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And so he vexed himself with the filthy con conversation or the conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among him among them is seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds and so there was a man in the old testament who was just but he was living among those that were not living the way they should and how he vexed his spirit. And I really believe that that's what happens to the believer today if they're not living the way God wants them to live. We, we can lose our joy and our, our strength and our courage and our, our ability, our, 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 what can I say, confidence is, is diminished to where we feel like we've been overcome and Satan then gets the victory and then we don't do anything for God when we could do great things for him. I think the Old Testament gives us a look into this understanding of grace. And I really believe that today, because we're living in a wicked culture, that we need to have the power of the Almighty God. I, I really believe because of the wicked day in which we live in, and Paul uh, mentions this in Ephesians chapter 6. I had you turn there in your Bibles if you look at verse number 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The Bible is actually saying here that we ought to be strengthened in the power of God's might. And so I can be strengthened by his might. You know, I was talking to some men Friday night here and at the Reformers Unanimous. We were having a little discussion in the other room. And we were talking about the power of the living God that lives within us. And so God's power lives within you. And you have been a partaker of the divine spirit of God lives within you. And that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in your mortal body. Dear friend, do you realize that you can do all things through Christ? even live pure in a sick culture, we, we got to stop being wimpy, dear friend, and stop saying, well, I can't do it. Stop being a crybaby. Step up to what God wants you to be and be strong in the Lord and be strengthened with his power and his might. He'll give you the power to be able to do it. And by the way, it's not what people see that's important. It's what they don't see. Get into the prayer closet and spend time with God. How are your devotions, dear friend? And how are you going to be able to be strong in the Lord if you're not in the Scriptures all week long? How are you going to be able to be strong if you're not in prayer with God? You're not going to be able to. You're going to be bulimic. You're going to be skinny spiritually, if you would. You're going to be like... Somebody who doesn't have the power that God wants them to have. You, you've misplaced the power of God. God wants to give you the power so that you can live the way he wants you to live. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might. Look what it says. Interesting, in verse number 11, put on, therefore, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, therefore, against the wiles or the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What's that talking about? That's talking about the day in which we live. It's interesting, because it says in verse number 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in what? The evil day. If you do not think the day is evil and something's wrong with you, we're living in an evil day, and to be able to do God's work God's way, you're going to have to have God's power. You have to cast down all the imaginations that come up and all the reasonings that are out there and stop, stop, stop thinking that you can't do it because God wants to give you the power to live for him. I look at the New Testament and I see so much strength in these verses and so much power. Look what it says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In these verses, verse number 10 all the way to verse number 18 ought to be memorized by every believer today and understand that God wants you to protect certain things. It's interesting. He tells us to, to protect the loins. This is talking about putting on the, the truth belt, if you would. And this is really the day in which we live. We must tell the truth. We must live in the truth. I was dealing with a guy this week, and he keeps lying after lying after lying after lying, and he keeps saying to me, I can't make it through it. I can't get, I, I, keep, I keep having trouble, and I keep having trouble. And I looked at him, I looked him right in the face, and I said, it's because you keep lying. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Who you are. Start with God. Tell God who you are. He knows who you are. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you're a rotten sinner and you keep going after meth. Keep telling tell him. Tell him you can't hold a job because you keep pursuing something that'll kill you. Be truthful. And God will give you the strength to be able to turn around and say, he's given me the power and the strength of the almighty God. Do you think that God was playing around when he sent his dear son for you? Do you think God was just playing around and thinking, oh, I watched them beat my son to a bloody pulp. I couldn't even recognize my own. For you, do you think he was playing around and thinking it was some kind of game? He did not have a game to play. And God does not forgive sins you intend to go back to. Stop it and give it all to God. You know, I was rather harsh with that young man. He's in recovery today. I sat in a room with him in the emergency room for a couple of hours waiting to be able to be cleared so he could get him over to recovery. And I think, oh, Lord, please help this man. Please help him. And I believe God is going to. But why is it that a Christian would name the name of Jesus Christ and still struggle with difficulties? Well, for one thing, we're very fleshly. We still have the flesh. We still have the old nature. But Paul understood that, and he was saying for the believers at the church at Ephesus, here is one thing you need to do. Put on the, put on the belt of truth and start telling the truth, because that's where it all begins. Keep your loins girt about with the purity of being truthful. 
It's interesting because he goes a little further. He's dealing with the heart. The heart is protected by the, the breastplate of righteousness. And so we understand that the chest needs to be guarded and we need to guard that. It talks about having, of course, the, the, the feet uh, protected by the gospel of peace. It talks about how we ought to have our body protected by the shield of faith. It talks about how we can protect our minds and our brain with the understanding of salvation. It talks about how we all can protect protect our, our, our usefulness, if you would, through the scriptures and how we can protect ourselves through prayer. And all of that is marked in here. But we look back at the Old Testament and they didn't have any of that understanding. But we do today. I think it's important for us to hid, see that hidden among the pages of the Old Testament story is Sodom and Gomorrah. There is a truth about a believer who was there and then delivered just lot, vexed, with the filthy conversation of the wicked, but God still delivered him. The thought this morning then, will they find grace in the story of your life? Will in the end they say, my dad or my mom went a certain way, or my son or my daughter went a certain way, but, but God had grace upon them. And God gave them the strength to say yes instead of no, and they said yes to the Lord. Two questions, has grace come to you? And have you experienced the grace of God or you accepted it? Because it's there for you to come and take. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the first thing I want you to see in verses 12 through 14, if you would, of Genesis chapter 19, is the offer of God's grace expressed. Look at 12 through 14 again, and very eloquently read this morning, and we read it together, but then it says, the men said unto Lot, hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever hast thou in the city, bring them out of this place. We know that these men were now going to be perverted, if you would, living in a culture of perversion, And for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is wax great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And he's going to destroy it because of the perverted wickedness of homosexuality, by the way. Not because of the lack of hospitality, which the world will kind of warp things out. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. But he seemed as one unto his sons-in-laws. What's interesting is actually Lot was saying, you need to get out of this city because God's going to destroy it. But they looked at their dad, basically, or their father-in-law or whatever, and He's just, he's just blowing smoke. He's a little upset. You know, he's one of those, he's one of those uh, fundamental, independent, Bible-believing Christians that always quote scripture all the time. You know, they're kind of bent in their attitude, you know. No, we know the truth, and the truth has set us free. And we know that time is short, and the sands of the hourglass are about to dissipate. And the Christians will be removed from this earth, and that will happen. And because of us knowing that, and God revealing it to us, we have a little more passion than the average person on the earth because we know of what's to come. 
And it's interesting is when we yield to God, that God gives us the strength. And so the first thing I, I think that ought to be understanding here really is the reach of his grace. That The Bible says and very clearly that the favor was shown to Lot and his family in the verse. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that... He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so we know that God has actually sent his son to, to, to taste death for every person. And it's not just for those that we call, uh, some people may call the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the, um, the uh, um, elect or whatever. Um, it may be a person that says, well, there's only certain people that are going to be saved. Tell that to God. God actually says in his word that it's for every single person. Every person that can hear me this morning, God's grace is for you. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So that's the reach of his grace. The reason for his grace, there seems to be a cry that God hears that man can't. A cry from the innocent blood when it is shed. A cry from those who experience injustice. And by the way, if you've experienced injustice, God will take care of you. Stop dwelling on it. Get up. Do something for God. He's aware of your problems and your issues. You've got all kinds of people in the Old Testament and the New Testament that actually had injustice done to them. But they were to continue on. The Bible says in Genesis 4, verse number 10, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Luke chapter 16, verse number 27 goes on to say, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And again, if he was to bring back someone from the dead, they still wouldn't listen to them. But there is a cry, if you would, uh, coming from people today, please help me. And where are they going to get help? Unless we come to them. There's the rejection of his grace. We understand that in spite of Preaching, uh, loud, pointed preaching, and it's because of the urgency. There's preaching that is authoritative, if you would, because its message comes from God. It's very affectionate because we understand the outcome if we don't preach because it was delivered uh, from a loved one. But I think Sodom's Gomorrah alludes to the spiritual Babylon, if you would, kind of gives us the understanding of the two witnesses that are in Revelation chapter 18. Listen to what the Bible says concerning them. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great has fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of demons or devils. And the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And for all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. 
that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Dear friend, God knows what is going on on this earth. And my desire this morning is for us to understand that we must separate ourselves from the wicked things of this world and live pure before God. Now, how do we do that? We need to equip ourselves to understand that God can give us the strength when we guard our, 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 the belt of truth and the, and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the sword of the Spirit and praying always with all prayer and supplication. God gives us the tools. He gives us the weapons. And we can live godly in this corrupt world, but we need the grace of God. We need the grace of God. Remember what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 11, verse number 3. It says, and I will give power unto the two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days closed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees. I think it's talked about them in Zechariah chapter 14. And the two candles standing before God of the earth, also mentioned in Zechariah. I believe it is one of the most incredible minor prophets Mentioned here, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt. Wherefore also our Lord was crucified, giving us an understanding of the future, that there's coming a day when the two witnesses will preach the Lord Jesus Christ, and nothing can kill them. And they will be resurrected among the people. And how can we all see that? Well, try YouTube. You can see everything today. It's amazing what we have as far as cameras and what we're viewing, what our eyes see today. At times like these, we need to call upon God for his grace and say, Lord, help me to live the way you desire for me to live. Give me your grace that will help me to live godly. By the way, that grace is not living loosely, dear friend. It's to live godly. He'll equip you to give you the power so you can be the kind of person he desires for you to be. Do you want to be honest? Do you want to walk upright? Do you want to be pure? That's all a desire that God gave you. And 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1 tells us that we can live We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will give us the power to live pure and live godly. The second thing I think what's interesting is the operation of God's grace expediated. I couldn't think of any other word. God's grace expediated. What I mean by that is that it is rushed to our need. Whatever need we have, God will give us grace at that particular time, and he will strengthen us. Noah, of course, preached deliverance from the flood. Blood on the doorpost was there and was given grace because of the death angel. And Lot was warned by his families and helped by his families here. And God's way is always present, always clearly presented. And God provides the will to do his good pleasure. And God's mercy strives to give us 
the confidence that we need. And verse number 15 and verse number 16 show this. And when the morning arose, and the angels hastened, Lot answered, saying, Arise, take up thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, I hate that, kind of looked around, figured out what he should do. Because he, is, he had lived independent of God for a long period of time, and maybe you've done that. Maybe you've lived independently of God. I really believe that your most subtle temptation is to live independent from God. And he lived that way, so he lingered. He said, I'll do it on my time. And the Spirit of God was prompting him to go. Look at verse 16. And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of the two daughters. And the Lord, being merciful, compassionate unto him, that they brought him forth and set him without the city. So there was this desire to deliver, physically deliver. And I really believe that's what's going to happen to us, that we ought to comfort one another with these words. That there is still a rapture. It is a pre-tribulation rapture position. The Bible believes this and gives us an understanding of the truth. But when we talk about him seeing then Jesus, I think there's more here uh, in, in, in Hebrews that can be brought out. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may, be, we may be, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I say that it is, it is expedient, is that God can meet your need wherever you're at, whatever time you need him, he'll come to you. If you humble your heart, he'll be there right now. I think about how that when I had to get my, my, uh, my passport ready for traveling years ago, I had to go all the way to Chicago, and I asked them to, if they could, what do they call that, expedite it? Expedite it. Uh, Expedia, isn't that like a same kind of word, but I, think, I can't find it in the dictionary because I looked up yesterday. So, but uh, expedite. And so God's grace is expedited. And it comes to us at any time quickly. And let me share with you that I couldn't get my, my, uh, my passport because uh, they, they wouldn't it'd take forever. And uh, now you don't even need one. You just come into the country. You need one. Yeah. doesn't matter. But the last few administrations we had, it did count. And so I actually had to have mine expedited to me. Um, finally, it came in the mail. It came in time for me to go. But let me just say this, that God is ready to give you what you need in time of need. You see, we're very impatient people. He knows that. Sometimes it's hard to wait upon God. Sometimes we get angry, discomforted. But when it comes to his grace, Lord, please give me grace to handle this. And while I wait upon you, give me grace. And you know what he will do? He will give it to you. He will share his grace with you. You know why? Because he's sharing his favor with you. And it's unmerited. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to perform for it. You don't have to get educated for it. 
He will give it to you. You don't have to have a super good personality. You don't have to have all kinds of faith. All it takes is a little faith to get to heaven. Spurgeon said it takes much faith to bring heaven to your soul. And it does take a lot of faith to walk continuously with the Lord every day. But it isn't a blessing to know that in the Old Testament, that they took, they took Lot's hands and they took him and they, they removed him from the city so that he wouldn't be destroyed. He was God's and so are you. You say, well, I've lived a rough life and I've lived life away from God. Well, come home. The water's fine. He's ready to dine with you. Come home to grace. God is there. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And lastly, so we can go home, the outflow of God's grace experienced. I think it's interesting as we think about this because God, God's grace gives direction after experiencing God's grace. Doesn't he just say, okay, now you're on your own. I have not been on my own since the age of eight. Jesus Christ has been with me every, every, every step of the way. And in times of being crushed and, and, and broken and confused, he was there for me, and he'll be there for you. I think about how we should never, never look back. But I want you to look at verse number 17, if you would, with me and follow along. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I could not escape to the mountain lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this is, the, is near to, to, to flee unto. Flee unto. It's, it's a city that's closer. And it's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. It's not a little one. Is it not a little one? And, and my soul shall live. Listen to what happens. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also that I will not overthrow this city, for thou hast spoken. What mercy. Grace shown even as he was showing grace. He even went a step further and said, I'll have even more grace for you. You can go to the city of your choice. Wow. That's how good God is. He's merciful. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou come thither. Therefore, the name of the city shall be called Zor, or this little, meaning a little city. So what do I draw from that? Verse number 17 tells us that we ought not to look back. I think many times we want to just look over our shoulder and see how things were. Remember Lot's wife and how she turned around and was turned to a pillar of salt. You know, I remember reading about a church that actually put that on the back wall instead of having a clock. It just said, remember Lot's wife. So as people look back, they would see it. And I think about how we're not to look back. And Jesus said unto him, Luke nine sixty two: no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. 
Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. We read them this morning in Sunday school. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto the things which are before. And I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Don't stay where vain pleasure will soon become the dead sea. What I mean by that is let go of the things of this world. I remember years ago we had a place where our family could go. Um, and it was, it was down near Dubuque. And it was a place that someone had bought and purchased so that pastors could get away. And Josh might remember the place because it had ponds there and caught some catfish in the pond, I think. And we left Joshua and Andrew and, and uh, Caleb. It's nice to have three because then the third one would tell us everything the other ones did while we were gone. So that was nice, and, uh, especially for that particular one. But you can ask Josh about that. But interesting because I, I was there all alone uh, in the night, one night I got up, and the ministry is, is difficult uh, today, but it was difficult back then, but there's a lot of joys that go on. And they had a little magazine there that I read, and I read a story about one of the men that actually entered into one of the Quakers' prisons. In our country, the first people to make prisons were the Quakers. And it was a little small island outside of New York, uh, of the shore. Um, you could actually go out to this particular prison. And above it, it said, the way of the transgressor is hard. Um, the way of the transgressor is hard is truth. It's biblical, solid truth. And should have been able to remain. Um, uh, but it was interesting because there was one man that was in that prison. That all he had was a four-by-eight cell. And he struggled. He got put, put in prison and... and uh, and back then, they had all kinds of ways of, of making you obey. If you didn't obey, they, uh, they had a, a little bowl of water that they would put around your neck. Somehow they would seal it. So it would keep, if you went down, you would drown. So it would keep you there for hours upon hours. You would, you would learn to obey or die, basically. That's the way that the prisons used to be in our country. And when I was in Turkey, just in 1983, there were actually prisons there that were still just caves. They put people in still bread and water at that time. Now you go to prison, you have everything, because they got all the rights. Interesting how we've changed through the years. This particular individual came out of his four-by-eight cell, went into the area of dining, and he heard an evangelist speak about being born again. He didn't come forward. He didn't make a decision during the preaching. He went back to that four-by-eight cell, and he got on his hands and knees before God. And he just bowed down and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. And God changed that man on the inside. They let him out about five years later, out of prison. And guess what happened? He messed up and they put him back in again. But he got up again and got back out again. And, and uh, I think it happened three or four times. And if I got my, my story right, I think he was able to produce 150 rescue missions after he got out. God got it, gave him that strength to be able to finally make that change in his life where he was changed and he was able to permanently stay away from alcohol, permanently stay away from the drugs that were causing him so much trouble and so much pain. I think it's important for us to know that in a day that which we live in, God is still willing to give you grace, but you can't keep looking back. 
I got another text this week of a young man that was dealing with some issues with sin in his past, and he says, I, I just can't stop forgetting about it. I can't stop forgetting. I just keep bringing it up. I keep looking, looking back at it. And, and all I could think of was, if you had a cat and it died, and you took it out in your backyard and, and you buried it, would you keep digging it up to look and see if it was dead? It's dead. It's gone. Move on. Get another little kitty cat. Move on. Put it down. Put it, take it to the cross and leave it there. God will forgive you. But if you keep on allowing your mind to keep going over and over, that's the helmet of salvation. Remember that he will take your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. So don't stay where vain pleasure will soon be the Dead Sea. And go to higher ground. We sang it this morning. I think it was very appropriate. But God's favor then, God's grace or God's favor, applies mercy. And mercy means pity, compassion. I think we see that in the scriptures here. I heard a story in closing about a man. He was walking on the street and he saw a black hat <clears throat> crossed over the road. <coughs> A man, as he was walking on the street, he saw a black cat crossing over the road. He thought to himself that he was going to have <clears throat> bad luck on the day, on that day, and so worried about seeing a black cat, he asked his friend what would be his fate because of the black cat that he saw in the morning. And his friend said, it all depends on whether you're a rat or not. I think that's how we get sometimes. We get all worked up over things. And God's grace has already covered it. And God's grace is already there. Don't you love the word grace? Boy, I need it. And it's there in time of need. In a culture like we have today, I just can't believe the wickedness. Sometimes I think, Lord, how much more can you take? How much more can we take as his people? Well, he knows. He's coming soon. I think that God's grace brings acceptance. Look at verse 21. He said unto him, See, I have accepted thee, concerning the thing also, and I will not allow this city for the, for overthrow this city, because you have spoken. But God's favor also provides complete deliverance, because it says, Hasty, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. That's why I believe that the trumpet's about to sound. And before we have the judgment seat of Christ, we'll be raptured up into the presence of God. The Bible actually says that we will meet him in the air. It's not the second coming, it's two events. The second coming will take place seven years later. Right now we're looking to Jesus. We know he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And we know he is the one that will deliver us. And he is the one that applies the grace to us. And we can find grace in the time of need when we come to him. But until then, God give us the power and the grace, the ability to be able to be what we should be. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I don't know where you're at spiritually. Maybe you've already put your faith and your trust in Jesus alone. 
Maybe you've put your faith and your trust in him, but you've struggled. You struggled your whole life. God knows that. And maybe it's time for you to turn and grab his hand and continue your journey now. He's waiting for you to come. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's going forward with, with believer's baptism or maybe it's, it's the next step is church membership or whatever. Why don't you come? It's time to make those decisions. We've got time this morning. It's not a huge crowd here this morning. It's, it's a good group, and so you don't have to be embarrassed. You can just come. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you please stand with me? I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done praying, the invitation will begin. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen.